Hello, lovers of bacon and broccoli alike. Welcome to not just another episode of Hidden Apron Radio, but a milestone and a very special episode today because we have finally reached episode 10. And to be quite honest, I'm surprised we made it this far. When we first started the podcast, we really just wanted to find a way to record and collect these conversations that we have with friends and interesting people in the food industry on a regular basis um, just because these are conversations that we thought people would have an interest in besides ourselves and it seems like a waste if we just kept that to ourselves somehow and we don't know who you are but i cannot overstate the gratitude that we have to you the hundreds of downloads that we're getting i mean i only wanted more than 10 because that's the number of people i could count on my fingertips that are like our diehard supporters who would actually download the episode but for some reason there are hundreds out there and to whoever you are thank you another reason why the episode today is very very special and i'm just going to cut to the chase because i've been raving about this interview to anyone who had listened for the past few weeks when they've asked for updates on the show is because we got to interview someone who is not only the youngest person on our podcast but i think one of the wisest as well and I'm talking about Josh Reisner, who appeared a few years back uh, on the TV show MasterChef Junior, uh, season two to be exact, when he was 11 years old. And through some mutual friends and a chance encounter, we actually got to cook with Josh during a gala for a nonprofit here in New York. And I also found out he's a neighbor of mine. So, you know, we connected and one thing led to another. And of course, I had to just get him on the show. And to be quite honest, I wasn't really sure where the interview would go. I mean, would we talk about homework? Would we talk about whatever it, uh, else it is that 13-year-olds do when they're not cooking four times a week and appearing in food and wine festivals all over the nation or even cooking in kitchens like in Paris? Uh, but it turned out, surprisingly to me to be one of the most insightful deep and philosophical conversations that i've had on the show in in quite a long time and that's not to to downplay any of the other episodes we've had with the great people on the show but really it struck me on just how the the people who are influencing our cuisine today in surprising ways can come in all shapes and sizes colors and in josh's case ages so some of the topics that we cover are his thoughts on what are the variables around cooking. So what, what comprises the activity of cooking, the basic skills every child should have when it comes to food. And I think this actually applies to all of us today. Why he thinks kids should cook and why they don't today. His idea of a culinary curriculum, if you were to build his own culinary school, uh, how to find opportunities. And this applies to not just cooking, but life itself. You know, I think a lot of us talk about having that first, especially for us who have side hustles, of like that first opportunity that just like gets us started. Uh, he talks about that, how to find in inspiration and how to get past that feeling of, of just being too lazy to cook. Or if you apply that in a more broader sense, when you're trying to do something and, and you just have that lazy procrastinating feeling, even though you're really, really passionate about something, but you just don't have the willpower, how to get past that. Uh, and his message to, to kids and parents both, because I think while we interviewed Josh here, a lot of credit has to go to his parents uh, for, for being a good influence on him and, and allowing him to pursue what has become a passion of his and, and uh, nurturing it at such a young age. So really give this one a listen. Uh, tell us what you think. Uh, if you have any comments, email us, hiddenapron at gmail.com. Hopefully we could get another 10 episodes here on this show and continue talking to people like like Josh who, who have inspired us and who have a very, very keen sense of awareness in just not food, but life itself. So here we go, Josh Reisner. Master Chef Josh Reisner. Hello. To the show. Thank you for having me. Hey man, it's always a... Uh... It's always good to see you. I feel like we don't see each other enough, even though you're my neighbor, technically. Yeah. So uh, your mom actually sent a bunch of links for me to look at of what you're working on. Uh, I saw that your, I think, Bite Size Kitchen is done, right? Mm-hmm. So your Bite Size Kitchen, you were helped with Tommy Bahama last week. Yes. And um, 
every like Tuesdays and Thursdays just to come in and like observe. Mm -hmm. So one day when I opened my restaurant, I could see like how to manage things okay. and organize things. Thinking twenty, no, thinking five years ahead, <laughs> opening a restaurant while at high school. Um, no, let's start. Let's start there. What else are you working on these days on the in the food world? Well, since I've been um, since I've been making ramen a lot um, with Sun Noodle. With ramen at, at Ramen Lab. At Ramen Lab and the brand itself. Okay. I've been like experimenting with a bunch of different noodles, and I'm trying to like get inspired and get kids into making and cooking ramen. Okay. Because when most people think of ramen, they think of the 49 cents yeah. um, instant ramen, which I actually really like instant ramen. I it's a too, great it's idea. It's a guilty pleasure. But I feel like to have kids start with like fresher ingredients, something that's more interactive would be a good start to getting kids into cooking overall. When you say making ramen, by the way, you mean like actually getting the flour like from scratch? Well, actually, ramen at home is quite hard to make. Okay. Um, because you need like a lot of tools. It's not a lot of people compared to making pasta. That's what I would think. But it's much harder than making pasta because when you think of ramen, it's a little chewier than pasta. There are a lot of ingredients in it. There's um consway, which is uh, probably uh, hard to get. What is it? Lye water, I think. I'm. It's. Almost a little bit like that, but mm -hmm. what it does is it makes the noodles chewier, okay. and that texture of the noodle is really hard to master, and you could really only master it with whole factory. Right. Oh, so yeah. it's getting kids more to cook with the ramen. Yes. Okay. Um, you don't have to make the ramen to make a super elaborate bowl. Yeah, yeah. I get the packs of ramen, or the portions of ramen, and I cook them for one to two minutes. That's all after I prepare broth. Yeah. I prepare toppings. Yeah, I, I heard prepare... you have like twenty seven in yours, yes. no? Yeah. Oh my god. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna get to that one later because oh, I'm I'm curious yeah. if you could list all twenty seven off the top of your head. What else are you working on? Lately I've been really thinking hard about it and saying how could I elevate this idea of dessert ramen? So This could be the next cronut. Yeah. Oh. Well, Could, are you allowed yeah. to like tell us one of your ideas for what you would put on a dessert ramen? So, it's not really the easy way out, but I want to be a little bit more creative mm -hmm. and maybe not just add like a chocolate base. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you actually take ramen ingredients, ramen stock ingredients, mm -hmm. you could have their sweeter versions of each ingredient. So instead of kombu, you could use like a maybe a banana leaf or a pandan leaf. Oh, yeah. Okay. Instead of... And kombu is um, uh, seaweed, right? Yeah. Okay. Instead of mushrooms, you could use any other dried fruit, maybe like sour and salty sweet plum, preserved plums. Yeah, yeah. You could just list so many ways to make the base of the broth. You could do maybe an ube or taro-based broth or... Uh, Careful, Josh. You're giving get... away so many ideas right now. Yeah, Whoever's well, listening, they, you better give a non-disclosure agreements at the end of this podcast or something. Wow. Dessert ramen. Who would have thought? Well, listen, I, if we start talking ramen, we could like end up doing the whole episode on ramen. I want to take a, a lot of steps backward first to start off with how you started, because I think that's an interesting topic that a lot of people don't know. Uh, and I'm sure it's a question that everyone asks you uh, in the beginning is, how did you start cooking and when? So I feel like to start cooking, you really need to like start eating and be more creative with what you eat. Mm -hmm. I grew up around food a lot because my parents were like they were really into like going to restaurant week or they were really into just going out to new places or even cooking at home. Yeah. So they tell me that um, my first memory of having my creative food was when I had ikura, what is which is all raw. Like fish, fish, fish eggs. eggs. Yeah. When I was four months old. Four months? Yeah. People are eating Gerber's baby food at that time. <laughs> you open a jar so, of fish eggs. So I was just like open-handed taking the decor out of the, the, jar, the jar and just eating it. What? Hands and hands of it, which is probably extremely unhealthy. And then ever since then, I feel like I've just been eating such 
like my palate is yeah. so sophisticated because you need to like taste things and see what flavors go together right. to be a, an amazing cook or chef. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's really helped me. Started cooking probably about when I was five, and how uh, how did you when you started? Because like you know, I mean. Right, I hear of some friends, and obviously they didn't start as young, but it's like, oh, I just stumbled in the kitchen one day, and I just saw this. Or my mom would ask me, like, how did you, did your mom ask you to help, or did you kind of just approach her and say, hey, I just want to start cooking, or how did that happen? I feel like you have to take even more steps back. My family is really centered around food. When food is brought to the table, everyone looks at it, and everyone can connect to it. Mm -hmm. My mother's side grew up around um, Southeast Asia, and my grandfather was a merchant marine, so he would get a lot of spices, and he would always cook with them when he came home. And then my great-grandparents on my father's side, actually, my great-grandfather worked at Katz's Deli. No way. And he was a deli slicer, and my great-grandmother was a a hostess, and they actually met there. At Katz's? This is like, this could be a, like a, a movie. So you start cooking, and when did you start? So I read that you uh, studied at the Young Chef's Academy. Yes. So and where, or how did that leap happen from you cooking in the kitchen to that? I feel like when I was five, I had a birthday party there. Oh, okay. Um, it was just a new place around my neighborhood, and I had a birthday party there. And I really liked it. And then, like, some random day... Uh, half a year later mm-hmm. I was like I was we were walking down the street with my mom talking about something totally unrelated and I was like you know what I really like my birthday party I want to start doing that again so I started taking classes there I really liked it a lot because after that whole day of school like when all the other kids were talking about sports like who won who lost yeah I would go home and get in the kitchen at Young Chef's Academy and I could relate to other people there who also like cooking. So uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. Even if you age another 30 years, nothing's changed. After work, people still talk about sports and who won. <laughs> it's just downhill from there. Next question I have is, okay, so you went into, and I'm a little jealous because I never got a formal culinary education, even if it's like at something like that. What did, what did you learn? What, what so, curriculum did you go through? I feel like being at Young Chefs Academy, I got to learn a lot about what flavors go together. I mean, oh, over technique? I over mean, I'm simple I'm surprised that's the first thing you said. Yes. So, once again, when I could make what I ate, yeah. I learned so much more. And then I just, as I learned and learned and learned, I wanted to cook more and more. So, I learned techniques like julienne they gave us small knives because they don't want to give right small kids huge knives yeah i was just chopping carrots i was dicing scallions at the age of six yeah which is at that time was not very popular did you realize that like when sitting there chopping these carrots did you think like wow i stand out because not a lot of people do this or was it just not even in your head at that time it wasn't really in my head at that time. When I got older, I started to realize more and more that like people didn't think cooking was a hobby, mm-hmm. and it was more of something that was mandatory. Like if you wanted to eat, you had to learn yeah. to cook. Like cooking is is my passion because I feel like there are two big variables in each activity, like control and culture, yeah. and with Control is obviously, like, what you do and the techniques that you use. And then culture is, like, how much fun you have and how much it impacts you. And I feel like cooking is where both of those variables cross. What was the first dish that you created that you were just like? So at every end of the class, they'll give out, at Young Chef's Academy, they'll give out the recipes that everyone learned. So I think we made a chili that day, and it was cooked for like an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. And I was like, well, each class is 90 minutes, and I already know that if you cook something for longer, like 
the flavors start to combine more yeah. and the it just gets better and better and better. I so I made the chili for three hours. Instead of one hour. Yeah. And that was when I realized like I have so much control over it. Yeah. And I have fun doing it, so why don't I just do it more and more? Chili. Chili. Yeah, chili. I think I read somewhere that you had Coke to yours, right? Yes. That was actually on the recipe. Oh. As I started growing up and I kept making my chili, a lot of people told me, like, oh, you should add beer to your chili. Yeah. And I was like, maybe when I'm 21. Well, the thing is, though, that, like, alcohol would cook off. Yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting that you brought up technique, right? Because I, and, and this mm-hmm. is something that I, sometimes I don't like when I take one-off classes at, um, not here, but when I was studying in Minnesota, is oftentimes we would be taken through a recipe. So when I get out of that class, all I know is that recipe. That is the only thing I can create, and yeah. I don't, I can't translate those skills across. So when you're talking about Julianne and these basic fundamentals, if you were to say every child right now who doesn't have the chance to go through Young Chef's Academy like mm-hmm. you did, if they could only get three cooking skills to start with at the age of five, what would those three cooking skills be? It's a really general skill, but it's so important. I feel like just basic knife skills is really really important you always have to know s- certain techniques so that you could you could have the control over how small things are so basic knife skills another one would probably be how to combine flavors okay. or what flavors go with what other flavors so like when i was seven i knew that steak goes well with butter and garlic and thyme yeah. And chicken goes well with rosemary, and pork goes well with sage. I didn't know that till I was 23. I feel like if I had more confidence at that age, I would be a better cook at that age. Because then, just like we were talking earlier, like adding the beer, I didn't know much about that skill adding alcohol to your food. Yeah. But if I convince myself that maybe I could do it, I could study more about that technique maybe it would be it would be much my chili would be much better mm. and if i started baking more maybe i would be a better baker now i'm not the i'm still not the most confident baker because obviously i'm more about cooking right. and my mother bakes and she's a really good baker yeah. she's an amazing baker and i just want to leave that out to her <laughs> i think you brought that up in one of the tv interviews i watched where you said you know baking is more of your mother's realm and it really does boil down to confidence. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's 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 interesting that I, you know, maybe will ask, oh, what's one thing, like a skill that you would have wished you'd known and you brought up confidence. I, I'm going to return to that confidence later on when I talk about getting other, other kids to cook. Um, mm-hmm. But so there's a big gap between Young Chefs Academy and then today. So how did you continue your education? Because obviously you, have, you haven't been going to Young Chefs all these years, right? No, I feel like... I started watching more and more TV shows about cooking. I wanted to be on the uh, on a TV show with Gordon Ramsay and Graham Elliott and Joe Bastianich that highlighted the talents of young people like me who could mm-hmm. also cook. And I feel like that gave me so much confidence that I could actually relate mm-hmm. to the other kids who I'm now amazing friends with. Yeah. And I feel like I just started watching more YouTube and I started watching more TV. I feel like as I learned more, I started watching and having more inspiration. Mm -hmm. And as I got more inspiration, I learned more. So they just built off each other. There's a bit of a difference though, because I think that, you know, and part of it is, is because of just the entertainment industry, but there are definitely shows that exist purely for entertainment value they don't really teach how to cook right Mm -hmm. they're there for entertainment so i think it'd be interesting to see why it got you to cook more but um i'm going to skip ahead to this quote that i saw online um on an interview you had for one of the papers so the question was i'm going to read it to you because i think it's such a i think it's such a mature line the question was why did you want to be on a show and uh and you said i think that i wanted to show my town by being on the show i wanted kids to look up to me I still want to look up to people, but I want people to look up to me too. And I want to be an example for kids all over the country. I think that, and not everyone thinks this, kids can cook too. Kids can cook, 
they just haven't been inspired to do so. And I want more kids to cook, not just to get on a show, but on a daily basis. And that's something that, one, usually when you imagine people who say that, usually they're in the government. They're like old people trying to set policies. And you don't often hear it coming from kids. So why do you feel like it's important for kids to cook? That enough so that you wanted to set an example. I feel like it's important for kids to cook because, I mean, I'm not even older yet, but what I've heard from older people, they actually regret, they regret not knowing how to cook. And I feel like from that, I actually have fun cooking a lot. And it's not that everyone needs to learn how to cook. It's that everyone should find something that really represents them in, as I said before, technique like control and and culture and cooking is perfect for me because at the like the style added onto the to the perfect cross between those two variables i also feel like it's important to cook because you get to know more about food and since food is actually really important for everyone it's not just about you eat to so you don't die yeah it's about really finding something that represents you and something that you could relate to everyone else with. Because, just like sports to me, not everyone plays the same sport. Not everyone plays football. Not everyone plays soccer. Not everyone plays baseball. But everyone, every single culture out there has some sort of food that represents them. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it's even if it's like a new place, like America, yeah, we're known for like stealing food, yeah. which I don't believe in. Yeah, we also we still have something that represents us, yeah. and we having like to represent the same food as someone else. Yeah, really gets me to connect to them more. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was actually just talking about this with someone three hours ago. Uh, they asked me why food, and I'm like, food is the only language that connects all of us without needing words, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like a lot of divisions that we see today um, of, of different cultures that kind of separate themselves, but actually if they look closer, they have like a culinary base that they share mm-hmm. like many, many years ago. So it's, it's cool you say that. But I, I wonder, what what is your opinion? Why you think that people think that kids can't cook? Or why don't you think, you know, um, older people try to inspire kids to cook more? I feel like... Like, people who have already been through being a kid and being, like, through being a teenager, they, maybe they have experiences where they wish that, where they wish that they could cook. Yeah. I feel like because kids are, are smaller than adults and a lot of kids, people think that kids don't, can't be as responsible around things like fire. I mean... And also maybe people think that palates of kids are not as sophisticated. So, like, when people think of kid food, they think of, like, chicken fingers and fries. Chicken nuggets and fries or, like, a simple, really simple grilled cheese. But, like, that's not all that kids eat. Right, right. It's actually... um interesting because they did a study on that so when you mentioned how you you ate ikura as a kid that's actually not uncommon so they did this research study where they took babies and they put them in front of like 50 different foods right on little plates and they just left them alone and waited till they got hungry and see what they would eat because their their hypothesis was is it true that kids only are, are have very simple palates and they'll only eat like you know salty sweet sugary stuff or would they actually eat stuff like raw broccoli and they found that a majority of the times these kids who can't even talk yet, they're at like baby age, would actually feed themselves a balanced meal naturally and self-select things that wow. they were like, wait, kids would eat that? So, you know, uh, you're right. Maybe it's just that we have this wrong perception of what yeah. kids can do or even like. I feel like also since some people have a portrayal of kids like they can't cook, yeah. it also tells a lot of kids oh, like that they can't cook. Right, right. Yeah. So, like, a lot of kids in, in the school that I go to, they think cooking is, 
beneficial and it's cool, but they can't connect to me because yeah. probably because they've been told that like cooking may not be for them. Or that you're like an exception, basically. That they that they can't cook. Maybe you're just a fluke. Like you're just an anomaly uh, yeah. of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's one of the most painful questions I hear sometimes is when I ask, oh, why don't you feed them, let's say, roast asparagus, right? And the parents will go like, oh, no, kids will never like that. And you're like, have you tried it? <laughs> so it's interesting because it's it's also a lot of like fear nowadays, right? I wonder if like in earlier times, people are more willing because even outside of cooking, right? This is a bit of a tangent, but um, they ask these parents who to describe their hometowns. Uh, and they would say, like, oh, it was the safest place, blah, blah, blah. And then they asked, they still live in that hometown. Uh, it was on a different podcast. And they said, like, would you let your kids run around the same way you did? They're like, no, it's not, not a safe neighborhood anymore, blah, blah, blah. But they looked at the statistics and, like, it's exactly the same. And I wonder if over time we've, exactly right, like, we babied it, right? And, like, don't let them hold a knife. Okay, so let's let's imagine, for example, that you own your own culinary school and you could design the perfect system to teach kids how to cook, what would that system look like? Would you, like, for example, would you teach them knife skills first? Would you teach them maybe flavor pairings first? What, what, what would your your ideal curriculum look like? I feel like because I was kind of raised this way from my parents, mm -hmm. like knowing what flavors go together and having, I feel like you have to build up your palate before you could build up your cooking skills. Oh, okay. So, like, I feel like, if I could have a culinary school, people would have to have, like, a, a really great palate and know what things go together and have an idea of how to cook before mm -hmm. they get in the kitchen and, like, burn themselves and yeah. cut yeah. themselves. So do you feel like, like when people say they're picky eaters, that that's, that's because they've been conditioned to be over time? Oh, yeah. Definitely? Definitely. So if, what's, the, what's the weirdest combination you... you you pick, I don't know. This is probably hard because you eat a lot of weird things. And I say that in a good way. What's the strangest combination you've ever had in terms of a flavor pairing in recent memory? Let's make it easy. This is such a hard question because I've eaten so, so many weird things in the past. Even even in the past, like, three months, I've eaten such weird things. Last two weeks. Oh, oh, last two weeks. Oh, 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 wait, no. There you go. No, 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 no. Oh, you got something. I had um, oysters with uh like this granita yeah and i was like what if you combine the granita and the mignonette and okay. made a mignonette granita okay so i d i got some oysters i took them home yeah and i oh boy and i i put the mignonette in the freezer okay. every like 30 minutes i would take a fork and scrape yeah, it scrape, yeah. and i put it on the oyster and I was like, okay, this is not horrible. The next one I had was really disgusting. Because, <laughs> like, a cold a cold piece of shallot and a cold cold chopped minced garlic yeah. and cold Just vinegar is weird with that, like, really briny, salty oyster. Although I would say that it's good that it... I don't want to say it's good that it was disgusting, but it's almost like... I, I was saying, I think it's good, too, that you tested and even if things don't turn out well because i think one of the fears that a lot of people have of cooking is if they mess up mm -hmm. and like people don't realize like okay you can't eat it like you messed up once you're not gonna die you have another three meals tomorrow like mm -hmm. you'll be okay if you mess up um so i have one more question before i switch over to the actual cooking cooking stuff um so you've helped out with all these chefs i i read that you helped out even when you were in paris mm-hmm you created like what did you cook there like you had um, 600 pastries to make or 600 i feel like they were 600 like put this filling in a in a piping bag yeah and just going at it with a like assembly like a 600 pastries three or like four big trays oh lord Jeez, so... Th yeah, three big trays. That my point sense. is, like, you've done that in Paris. You did the South Beach... Uh, food and wine. Food and wine. You did Hawaii. Uh, I'm doing Hawaii You're about in to October, Hawaii. yes. Right, and then you helped out in Smorgasburg. You helped out in Tommy Bahama at Ramen Lab. Like, how... Like, how do you balance that with all the other, like... Homework, for one. I don't... I don't... I didn't even know how I caught up with homework. 
to be honest. And I didn't even have activities. Like, how do you, how do you balance all that? You have <clears throat> to, you have to have the right balance and the right schedule to do the homework as well. So the way my school works is that you have homework due. You have like two types of days, and one day you have one schedule. And the other day you have another schedule and they just go on and off and on and off mm -hmm. until the year ends. Yeah. So my homework, let's say my homework on Monday is due on Wednesday. My homework on Tuesday is due on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So what what you're probably thinking right now is, oh, he does it the day it's it's assigned. And I, I don't. I didn't say that. I definitely I don't say that. that. What you're thinking is probably that. I definitely, I definitely don't do that. Um, instead... I feel like, to some extent, homework definitely needs to be done. Homework right. definitely needs to be done. Because what happens <clears throat> if one day I'm I'm walking? I mean, this is a weird scenario. But what happens one day I'm walking and just somehow I just lose my leg? Or somehow one of my, like, I can't use a knife anymore. All of my joints get weird. The things you like, think what about, if that Josh. happens? So, like, I also think, I mean, even if that doesn't happen, it's really, like, even the greater chefs um, have told me, finish school yeah. and do it right. So, yeah. this, wow, this solves another issue that parents have, right? Because parents are always like, how do I get my kids to finish homework? And from now on, my future kids, I'm going to tell them, imagine one day your legs just fall off. <laughs> You're not worth nothing until you finish school. How do you like, line up all these various opportunities? So I feel like my parents are really helpful because even though they're not chefs, they help me like they talk with me about my schedule and they help me like um, organize what I'm doing and follow up. If I have an opportunity, I'll follow up okay. and then maybe I'll get another one. So. Like, also, I have a business card, mm -hmm. which really comes in handy. So, like, a lot of the thing is, I feel like to have more events, you need to have at least one event. Right. Which sounds a little weird, but because if you have nothing to do, it's so much harder to do, to do more things. So, the first time I felt like, I couldn't, I didn't have to only cook at home anymore. I just, I wrote this email, like a really elaborate email saying like, oh my God, it's hard to tell you and I really can't tell you about this, but I just have this amazing passion for cooking yeah. and I would love to observe in the kitchen and love to, and I would love to like be an apprentice, maybe or an intern, just anything I could do to help you, yeah. or if you could help me, just to so I could learn more and I could become a better chef. And then they responded to the email, and they were like, "Okay, um, you're like ten, you're like eleven, but sure." <laughs> From there, I just started branching out so at that place I met the chef from Smorgasburg the and then from Smorgasburg I've just <clears throat> I've branched out to Rockaway where they have another branch and then through the place that I was working or not working definitely not working I was way too young to work but observing I actually took a class there and that's where I met um, my mentor for ramen so ever since then, I've just been um, kind of partnering with them to inspire kids to make ramen, like I said before. Yeah. And then from ramen, I got to start at NYC WFF. And from NYC WFF, they invited me back to Sobe WFF. Yeah. And then that's how I met more people. Right, right. Who did you, I don't know if, they, if you guys covered this, but who did you send that first email to? Um, the Brooklyn Kitchen. Oh. Okay. And that summer, <clears throat> as soon as I got home 
from the show I was filming, my parents were like, my parents either thought I would not want to cook anymore, yeah. or I would just be a, on a whole new level of culinary things. Those are two extremes. Yeah, yeah, really big. Yeah. And as soon as I, as soon as I got home, I said I don't want to go to camp this year. I want to like start in a in a kitchen. Yeah. And so I that summer out. Um, the place that I went when I was like five, they offered me to come back and maybe help with the classes. And then, um, I wrote this email that I was actually going to send to someone else, but I sent it to the Brooklyn kitchen and I feel like I'm just so thankful to have them in my life. Yeah. Cause like if that never happened... I might have, I'm. I could, I could have found another way to start something, but from there I just branched out in the way that I actually wanted it to go. Like so, at that moment, at that time, like maybe I wasn't thinking as much about a restaurant, but now that exact path, that path of going into ramen and then going into Places like Paris, I feel like those two, those are two amazing culinary places, right. Japan and France. Right. So if I, that actually really influenced me more and more. So when I want to open up my first restaurant, it's probably going to be like a fusion restaurant. If I'm going to open a fusion restaurant, I want to take... Um, Southeast Asian or Eastern Asian ingredients mm-hmm. and transform them with Western European techniques. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the main point that I'm hearing though is like, <clears throat> it takes one, right? It's yeah. just that first step that I think a mm-hmm. lot of people get overwhelmed and go like, oh, I got to do these 50 things. But yeah. oftentimes it's like the first thing will lead you to the second drill. One yeah. of the quotes that I heard from um, Amy Bessa, who owns Purple Yam, that's a Filipino restaurant in Brooklyn, and they were like, they're Filipino for New, New York since the 90s, right? Um, one thing she told me when she gave me advice was like, it's not a linear path that you have to plan from the beginning. You just need to take the first one, and I think even with a hidden apron, right? Like the diners from our first dinner became the cooks at the second. But had I not, had I thought from the beginning, like, oh, I gotta find chefs for every single event, I'd have probably quit. Like it, it took that first, it's that first thing that just branches out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I want to transition a bit into the actual your cooking style because uh, I, I we mentioned chili mm-hmm. on TV you've mentioned many times about the short ribs mm-hmm. uh, you've done like I think for one of your birthdays you did like 96 cupcakes or something like oh, that oh god yeah and yeah. it took like three days to make this uh, how do you go about creating dishes like what's your thought process so I feel like you have to venture somewhere and explore for more inspiration. Mm-hmm. And when you combine the food experience that you've had and what you've learned, you could transform that into a dish. And then you improve the dish when you eat it. So that that day, oh my God, I actually, um, I made 112 cupcakes. I only did 96 for the party. So 112 cupcakes. Um, 11 variations. Oh my god, my head just hurts just thinking about that. And then I feel like I didn't exactly, I, did, I didn't really find the type of cuisine that I really, really wanted to cook until I kept eating more and more Japanese food and eating more and more French food. Yeah. So my style of cooking, I, I feel like before the days of working in a kitchen, I feel like I was more centered around comfort food and I would be a little skeptical. I would get a little um, frightened when I was told to cook like really traditional Asian food. Yeah, yeah. Because like... Yeah, it's an unfamiliar yeah. space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now since I feel like I've... Appre- uh, since I've appreciated more styles of Asian food, I could branch out. Like, 
five years ago when I was at my grandfather's house, at my mom's parents' house. Which is where? Um, Brooklyn. Okay. I, like, I would see the curry on the table, I would eat it, and I would see the Hainanese chicken on the table, and I was, and I would eat it, um, but I wouldn't be as inspired because I feel like to be inspired, you need to start from zero. And you need to start eating to be inspired. It's it's weird. It's really weird. No, I wouldn't use the word weird. That was deep. Yeah. That's, like some, that's some deep, like, philosophical... You've got to be in it, right? I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You've got to start and just get involved. What's that movie where, like, Jackie Chan was, like, this master and he was, like, you teach me something? Karate Kid? Or something. The one about emptying the cup. Like your cups, or if you want me to teach you something, you gotta empty your cup first, or something like that. I forgot what the quote goes. Like that's why I don't think what you're saying is weird. Is if people approach a food with already a preconceived notion, they're never gonna get inspired because they're mm-hmm. always gonna say like, "Well, how we do it." Like you were telling me, right? Like if you come to a food and you're like, "Well, this is how we do it out here in the West Coast, like or the South or wherever mm-hmm. or whatever country you're from or whatever your experience is," you're not gonna get inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's weird at all. Mm-hmm. But it's strange because I've asked your dad when I was over at your birthday, you know, I asked him, like, how how this happen? And he was like, honestly, I don't know. Because <laughs> his sister didn't turn out like that. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's you know? that's for sure. Right? So it's like there must be other things. But um, one thing that struck me was another philosophical point that you brought up. That There was a TV interview where they asked you, what are your three tips for getting people to, to cook, especially during the holidays when they're stressed? And I was expecting people to say, oh, be organized, you know. And it was, that's exactly what you guys were saying. But there was one thing you said at the very end where you're like, one tip you mentioned is um, thinking of what people might say at the end. Do you remember saying that? Because if not, then I'll skip this question. Yeah, I, I feel like I definitely you said, remember like, that. Oh, one of the things that I do uh, before I cook something is thinking of what people might say about my dish and then tailoring it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That dish. You, oh yes, yeah. So oh, go into oh, why? I still do that. So why? What do you mean by that? That's I've never heard that be said. Because I've seen it in like a lot of TV shows, like when people go to a restaurant and they're like, "Oh, it's burnt," or "Oh, it's it's not seasoned correctly." Yeah. I try and taste everything so that the, when the guests come, they're like, "Oh, it's perfect." And I like this a lot. You're anticipating what the yeah. potential... Oh, okay. So I'm looking at the end product yeah. from where I start. It's very wow. steep and Kobe like Begin with the end in mind. Wow. Like seven habits <laughs> of highly effective people. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That's the Wait, weirdest book. Wait, tell me you've read it. I've read it. But the teen... Josh, book. you're not supposed to read that till like you're like 30 in an <laughs> MBA class. I haven't even finished that book yet. No, no, no. The teen version, which was really weird. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really strange. That's that was the worst. That was the worst like week of my life ever. And that was the most my sixth grade school. Oh my god. It's pretty good though. But I yeah, but Maybe this is a very visceral reaction. Like I feel like I need to read the book now just based on his reaction on the <laughs> the team version. That it was so weird. Hmm. It was like find something you like to do. But you already knew that. And then, maybe that's why it's weird. Is maybe you, that's just weird, yeah. Because you already And then something. when you're 15, maybe you'll see some changes in your body. <laughs> it was it was the weirdest <laughs> book. Josh, this is so painful because I'm really trying hard not to laugh. Because I'd end up just coughing and we'd have to take a break. But like, my God, this is hilarious stuff. Um, going back to... to your experiences in cooking. Have you noticed a difference between cooking for large groups, so for example, Smorgasburg, and for families? Not not in terms of the size, but like where you are. Do you think of the cooking in different ways? Like for families, are you less less measured? Whereas in groups, you're, you're thinking more operationally. I, I'm trying to see if there's a difference in the way you think between these two. Events. I feel like it's definitely a difference in the way you cook. Not like, oh, these... People know me, so it's going to be fine. It could be too spicy. It could be overcooked. But, like, the attitude, I feel like in a group, like, my family, I already know what they like. In a group, 
like a dinner party. Like some people like family style. Some people have like a connection to the food. Some people want rice on the side. Some people want chicken nuggets instead. Yeah. And I probably won't do that. But I feel like cooking for a large group or a restaurant, I feel like you don't have as much connection because... With the diners, you mean, or with the food? With the diner, with the diners. Because think about it like a business. The diner is obviously the consumer. The chef is the maker, but the food is the middleman. In the dinner party... You get to directly talk to the other people. Yeah. And you get to, like, share something. Like, the people at the dinner party, they're signing up for an experience like and the food. Of, the product, of course. Right. They're signing up for an, an experience and the food. And the people at the restaurant, they're probably signing up for the food and less of the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless, of course, they've... Unless built the built yeah. the restaurant in a way that it's mm-hmm. it's experiential, right? Um, you want to like run for VP of operations at our company? Because hey, you can. I'm sure we can hire you tomorrow. They'll probably go like, "Oh, you're yeah, no, you're 13, but listen to me, like, okay, we cook it About what? Oh, um, because I'm so worried about the end product. Sometimes I've ner- I'm am nervous. Especially with new techniques. Like ramen, I'm never nervous about the end product. Yeah. But I still think about it. I still know what might happen and what can happen. But I'm not like, oh my god, is this going to go well? Is this not going to go well? Yeah. I'm always checking my food to see what it tastes like. To see how it could change in the next 30 minutes or in the next 5 hours. Yeah, it sounds like you just built that. You, when you talked about conference at the very beginning, mm-hmm. it just sounds like you just had to do repetition, right? Yeah. Okay. I have a couple last questions before I wrap up with our rapid fire uh, section. But one thing, and I haven't figured this out, right? Because like, I share your love for food, right? But I there's just some nights where like I just don't want to cook tonight. I'm just too lazy. Because especially after a long work day, like, I'm, I just don't want to cook. Which I think a lot of people face. And some even more so than me, um, for people who actually don't like to cook. Like, how do you get past that? I'm sure you've had days where you're just like, it's Wednesday, but I've got to gotta eat, and I just don't want to cook. It actually depends, like, what I'm expected to cook. Throughout the whole week, my parents will bring home food or bring home ingredients, like, One day my dad will come home with, like, a bag of cauliflower. And one day my mom will come home, like, a few pieces of steak. And they'll be like, cook this or else it's going to go bad. And we waste so much. And we'll waste so much money. So I'm like, if it's not going to be interesting and it's not going to impact me and my experience, don't I don't need to cook it. Like, if it's going to be a hamburger that you're going to throw in the broiler, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take a hamburger. I'm going to take all the bacon that I have. Yeah. I'm going to cut off the fat of the bacon. I'm going to mince it up really finely, add it to the patty, mix the patty, and I'm going to, like, throw it in a closed pan yeah. and actually put love into it. Yeah. I'm not going to throw it in the broiler. Yeah. Some people do that because they have something else that they like. And that's fine, but I feel like the experience of cooking really pushes me and elevates me to cook more. Okay, so basically you have to be inspired by it to get over, I don't know, feelings of Mm -hmm. exhaustion or whatever. Also, if it's something totally out of my realm, like once my mom said, oh, can you make like 96 cupcakes for your sister's birthday party? And I'm like, I thought of the end product and and I just kept thinking like, would it really pay for me to do 11 variations? Yeah. It would pay, I would be paying myself experience-wise, but, like, would it really be worth it? Because at the end of the day, kids won't care about, like, the pistachio dust that's on top yeah. or the caramelized lemon that's on top. Well, you know, if you have leftovers, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's other people here that... Uh, yeah. 
before I go off into the to the rapid fire question, any, this is uh, one that I have never really asked. But do you think there's something that we haven't asked you that you're like, man, I wish they asked me this so I could say this? Any topic that you you think we didn't cover? There are a few topics that get me really riled up. Really, I've yeah. seen you riled up, man. You've <laughs> seen the shade. You want to do a shade hour? We could do a no, shade no, hour. No, no, no. We can't do a shade hour here. <laughs> okay, no, but I meant, I meant like, think of it this way, right? There could be a a kid out there who's listening right now, mm-hmm. or well, when this goes live, is there a topic that you wish we covered that would maybe make a difference to them? I feel like how to start eating, okay. and I've already covered that in like a to parents, yeah, but to the kids out yeah. there, I feel like. You can't always rely on the things you hear. Yeah. Like, I feel like some kids are really picky because people on YouTube or role models on YouTube, they'll see things like kimchi and they'll be like, oh my God, it smells so bad. Yeah. I'm not going to eat it. Or things, even like things like offal or things like foie gras, things like chicken liver. Yeah. Some kids, they actually will definitely eat it. The first time my sister tried she really liked it yeah and but that's because we told her it was butter and it would be cool right. if some kids could do that without being no go ahead without being fooled yeah 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 this again goes back to that conditioning but i i think that's even a larger i mean you keep going philosophical josh because that that <clears throat> applies to anything right there's a lot of things we don't do because somehow we've seen role models who say we don't they don't think we're gonna like it. Is that approach different from how you approach parents about getting kids to eat more? I feel like because what you you mentioned you've told something else with parents like what have you told them? Of course, when I'm at things like the end of when I'm wrapping up a dinner party or when I'm wrapping up an event, mm-hmm. parents will ask me like, "How do you manage the homework or how do you manage?" Your life, how do you manage how do you manage getting your family to eat what you make? Yeah. And I'm not just like, oh, because it's it's really good, but I'm like because I feel like you need to go by steps. Mm-hmm. You need to every time you make something it needs to get more elaborate. Yeah. So like I started with fried rice. I made kimchi fried rice. I made kimchi fried rice with a sous vide egg on top. Now my father eats eggs, Yeah. which he didn't for like, how old is he? He didn't eat it for like 40, 43 what? years. And you got him to eat eggs. I got him to eat eggs. There's one more Go question ahead. that I really don't like, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Okay. What's so a question? lot of people like at the end of a dinner party or at, when I'm wrapping up, an event like I said before mm-hmm. a lot of people will ask me like what do you do for fun and I oh really like I really really don't like that question yeah I really don't like that question because yeah I definitely find cooking and eating fun it's 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 bad because people see cooking as a, a chore mm-hmm. I see it's 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 almost the same as when people tell me like oh so you know, what do you do for real, for real? Like, that's your hobby, right? That's nice. Yeah. That's cute. But what else, you know, what do you do for real? Like, this is my thing. Okay, so this section is uh, questions that we ask everybody who's been on the show. Okay. They're going to be very short questions. You could answer them short if you want. Mm-hmm. Or you can take as long as you want. Okay? okay. So first question is, person who most influenced you from a culinary standpoint and why? I feel like someone who's really influenced me is David Chang. But he set off the trigger for the style of cooking that I really want to pursue, which is the Southeast Asian or or Eastern Asian ingredients forged with Western European techniques. Yeah. I like, appreciate that you said forged, by the way, because a lot of people will say elevated, implying that like Southeast Asian is somehow inferior. That yeah. To be like yeah. Cool. Um, best kitchen tool you've purchased ever, besides the knife. Besides the knife, you cannot say any knife. Oh my god. Um, I know everyone says the knife. I really, really, really love my chopsticks. I feel like chopsticks are like something, like I could see an egg on the table and I need to mix it for an omelet. I see a fork and I see a whisk 
and I see the chopsticks, the shining chopsticks in the middle of the table, and I won't even look at the fork or the whisk. I'll just grab the chopsticks and start mixing mixing away. I heard Confucius like saw the chopsticks as a non-violent alternative to the fork and knife. But I don't know if that's true or not. Anyway, three ingredients to describe you. I'd say uni because okay. I don't know. That's because it, it's like it's almost I don't I don't know how to say this. People look at it and they're like it's it's probably expensive or I I, I don't relate myself to expensive, but it's probably something a lot of people eat, but I would never do that because that's like my hobby um because a lot of people don't think that cooking is a hobby um another one would be would vanilla be a spice yeah sure because it's i'd say because vanilla um vanilla beans that have been soaked in alcohol they've been well not because not because of that but because i feel like it's very mature yeah because it's been sitting in that alcohol for a long time, and it's been exposed to something that makes it much greater. So I, I said... Uni, vanilla. Uni and vanilla. Uni because it's like a lot of people think weirdly of it, because cooking usually is not a very common hobby. Vanilla because you could let it sit in a, an alcohol to make like vanilla extract okay. and as it sits in that as it's exposed more and more yeah. to that liquid it gets more and more mature yeah the final one would probably be just say it, i know you're thinking something you have this look on your face like should i say it i'm i'm debating between cardamom and star, star anise i'd probably say star anise because it has a unique flavor within that you can't really get from many other spices. Okay. It's really only released when it's exposed to a like something like milk or something like uh, something where you could release all that spice Man, or flavor. Every ingredient had such a deep story. And then, it. I'm like, so like, what? I feel like I could only talk about my passion yeah. when I'm around other people that I could really relate to. Okay, I see you, Josh. I think that's a compliment for both of us yet. Yeah, I'm gonna take that. That's me. No, no, we're gonna take it. All right. Three last questions. One book, documentary, website, whatever. Just one resource for the common kid. For the common kid to to do what? To be have a better relationship with food. Just if you if you are like yo, everyone needs to look at this book, movie, resource, whatever. So I feel like if I I feel like if I could recommend any video, movie, or TV show or book, I feel like I could recommend one of each. I'd recommend Mind of a Chef is a really amazing oh, show. No, yeah, I remember seeing the, the episodes of David Chang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I really like that show because they they think about it and it's not just like food porn. You know what I mean? Yeah. They actually, like talk about yeah. More than just like science, history, whatever. Uh, second to last one, and this is a super short answer, so this might be tough. If someone were to write the book of Josh, oh boy, today, as of today, what would be like the one line message in that book? How thick is the book, or how big is it's up the to book? you? It's the book of Josh. This is a very deep question. I know, but here's the thing: you've been talking deep the whole time. The whole time yeah. So guess what? Come on, uh, this is this is your thing, man. <clears throat> If there could be any line that to represent me, mm-hmm. it would be not your average thirteen-year-old. I like that. That's good. That's good. So, you know, it's like the message that people get when they see you. I think everything you've been talking about so far is that people don't have to be average if they don't choose. At least that's what I'm getting. Right? They don't have to be. It's just we become average because we start to believe that we are, and that's. You know, I think that's the one thing I've been getting from you. Last question. It's logistical. Where can people follow your story? Twitter, Instagram. Um, where, 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 do you, where should people follow you? 
It pulls out his wallet. Out his wallet. Wait, 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 wait. Well, okay. He's gonna read it out. Um, if you have any questions, you could email me at josh at reisner.net. Okay. Please follow me on Instagram at mcjr2josh. mcjr2, like number two? Yes. Okay. And then on Snapchat, uh, Chef Josh R. And then on Facebook, Chef Josh Reisner. And on Twitter, Chef Josh R as well. Okay. Which one is the one that you use the most? Instagram? Probably okay. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. MCJR2Josh. So people remember that it's actually Master Chef Junior 2, Josh. That yeah. Good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Listen, Josh, this has been a very, well, for me, a, a very unexpected episode. Because I, I didn't think we'd actually get very philosophical, which we did. And I'm, I'm really glad. Your mom asked if we could collaborate again in the future. I could not be happier if we did. Uh, so hopefully we'll get to throw down again one day. I just hope it isn't 96 cupcakes because I don't want to do that, man. That's that's all you. We could cook with Uni again. Oh, yeah. Cool. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. Thank you so much.